Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Ambition Podcast. I'm David Whitehill, Director of Marketing and Communications at Amber and BGA. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Kath Bishop, Olympian, diplomat, author, and business coach. A few months ago, Kath wrote an article for Ambition talking about her new book, The Long Win, The Search for a Better Way to Succeed. And I was keen to catch up with her a little bit on the inspiration for writing the book, as well as how she thinks organizations should be changing their cultural mindsets in relation to success. Hi, Kath. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today for the podcast. Um, before we get started, I thought it might be useful if you shared some um, history of your experiences and a little bit about your career um, to date. Great, David. Lovely to be here. Thank you for inviting me. There are probably three strands to my career that, that, that I draw on and that we'll explore a little bit in this conversation. I was a, an Olympic rower for 10 years, so experience of that high-performance environment in extreme. I then worked for the British Foreign Office for 12 years, um, so a very different professional world, but it was still one that involved teams and high pressure and actually some similar human experiences even. And I specialised in conflict issues, so worked in in and with hostile environments around the world. And I now work as a business coach, a consultant. I teach at some business schools on topics around leadership, team development, and how we can really be our best selves in the workplace. Amazing. Thank you. And we're here today to talk about your new book, The Long Win, The Search for a Better Way to Succeed. And this is a question I ask to all authors, what motivated you to, to start writing a book? So the book has been swirling around my head for many years, and it was really uh, all the time there was a, a sense of in each of these careers, people are trying to be successful. And in my own mind, I'm trying to, I've always been trying to work out what's the key criteria for success? What does success look like? And in each of these careers, I realized that it's not always the obvious stuff, the stuff that other people talk about as being success or the organizations hold up, that there's a much sort of deeper, richer world. And I also saw quite a common pattern of an obsession with success being just about winning and beating the person next to you that actually was holding people back in all these different contexts from exploring what's possible, from exploring their potential, from you know really working with each other to have bigger ambitions than simply winning a medal and being the top dog on a given day. So it was this sort of building sense of, hang on, we're getting something wrong here. There's a deeply ingrained phenomenon around winning in our culture that, that places it very simplistically in our minds. And it's actually holding us back from the complex issues we face in business and beyond in the 21st century. I mean, I just want to pick up on some of the some of the ideas that you've just mentioned there. Everybody would have a different idea of success. So for some people, it is earning more money. For some people, it is buying their first house. For, for others, it would be that promotion or setting up their own business. In terms of the themes of the book, what are the main themes that you would look at when defining success? So I think just stopping and reflecting on any of those different elements that we think are success is really important to make sure they're not limiting us. They're not quite narrow in their definitions and whether we shouldn't be broadening the success criteria that we're going for. Often I've seen examples where winning isn't working that well, where you actually have sports champions who've reached the top step, who won a gold medal, and they feel dissatisfied, unfulfilled, depressed even, because in the way to winning that medal, they've somehow lost the deeper sense of why something matters. So whether it is 
buying your first house or any of those examples you gave, the important thing is to be considering, why does that matter to me? And beyond that moment, what matters? So in the sporting example, why do you want to win a medal? What what will that medal mean for your life thereafter? We see lots of sports stars crashing after they have their podium moment. You know, you have the post-Olympic blues. There are all sorts of challenges that athletes go through in transitioning out of their careers because they've lost this continuous sense of who they are, their values, what matters to them. It's the same in business. We go for these targets that we're driven by each quarter or annually. But what happens after that? And what did I learn on the way to achieving those or not achieving those that stays with me? Again, in the sports world, what are the things that you learn on the way to winning a medal or not winning a medal? Because none of that is guaranteed. But what are those things that you gain that you take with you that help you win or lose? So it's really about reframing success as having an underpinning purpose and being clear. I talk about the clarity of what matters on a broader level and on a longer term piece. So it can't just be one single metric that actually doesn't last more than a second when you either hit your targets or when you win that race. That in itself is not going to help us to really maximize the ongoing potential that we have. So the first thing is to clarify what matters, that sense of purpose, then to have a constant learning mindset. And this approach enables us to then start to explore our potential on an ongoing basis, regardless of results. Sometimes we can really live this roller coaster where if we hit the targets, if we hit those results, everything's great. And if we don't, everything's a disaster. But in all of those cases, whether it's in business or at school or in a sporting context, those targets, those externally defined measures are not within our control to deliver. They depend on all sorts of external factors. In the sports world, we're dependent on weather and our competitors and injuries, um, you know, our own health, umpires, referees, lots of things determine that result. But what we can work on is improving our own performance to the maximum possible and in the broadest way possible. So not just the physical training, but the mindset piece, the behaviors piece, recovery, relationships, communication, all of these elements that are essential to the peak performance we're aiming for, they're also essential to our lives thereafter, whether it's another race or actually doing something different. And it's the same in business. We want to optimize this improvement process of all of the elements of ourselves as leaders and the work that we do, because we can't control the results. So if we allow those results to determine our experience, then we're on a roller coaster beyond our control. We're still aiming for the best results we can get in races, if we're in the sporting world or in business targets in the business world. But actually what we're in controlling is improving ourselves as leaders in this broad sense that will continue after that set of results, the way we lead, the way we turn up. And in all of these worlds, connections are important. And that's the third aspect, clarity of purpose, a constant learning mindset, and the prioritization of connections in everything that we do. We cannot succeed alone. And again, whether it's being part of a crew in the in the sporting world or part of a negotiating team, the diplomatic world, or working in teams now in the organizational world, it's all dependent on relationships. So we need to make sure that that's a part of our success, that we're aiming to have thriving relationships, that we're investing in those, and that we are seeing those as part of our picture of success, not some narrow externally defined um, target. It's got to be much broader than that and much more human than that. 
I love that. I think that's fascinating. And I just want to pick up on it a little bit. So putting it into the context of, of your own experience. So did, did your understanding of success change following the Olympics as you moved through different aspects of your career? Or did you have sort of an epiphany moment where you sort of thought to yourself, right, I need to redefine what success means to me? I had halfway through my career a, a moment Uh, an epiphany moment as you describe it. When I started off in high performance sport, there was a real old fashioned macho narrative, which still exists in a lot of sport and a lot of business and other aspects of society. It's all about who's the toughest, the meanest, the strongest, that it's all about being number one and destroying your opponents. And I got quite sucked into that mentality. That's what I was being taught and being coached. And that's what I saw from people around me. But it was very limiting on my performance. I wasn't reaching my potential. I was becoming really tough. I was physically developing. And I thought in my mindset, it was all about, okay, who's the hardest? You know, who can show no weakness? But that actually isn't enough to deliver a peak performance at the highest level. There is scope for us to develop our mindset in a much more sophisticated way, to be mindful, to have compassion within high performance, to be exploring how we can connect with those around us, not see them as opponents that we just want to destroy, but actually as essential part of helping us to perform at a higher level. So initially, I didn't get the results I wanted in the first two Olympics, and I was distraught trying to work out what had gone wrong when I felt I had potential to do better. And it was after my second Olympics where I finished ninth that I started to reflect in a different way. I started to read much more widely about culture and its impact in sport, business and beyond. And the coaching approach started to shift. And there was a big shift in sports psychology where they developed this sense of Athletes need to focus on the performance they can deliver that's within their control, not on the results that are externally defined. Not that we don't want the results. Of course, we want to win and we're aiming to win, pursuing excellence. But actually, our job is to focus on the performance. And if we optimize the performance, that then gives us the best chance of getting the best result that we can. So it's shifting and separating out this concept of performance that we're in control of and results that ultimately we cannot be entirely in control of. And that shift in sports psychology, a shift to a culture that allowed us to be vulnerable within it, within the pursuit of high performance, had a massive impact in my third and final Olympics that saw me perform at a much higher level, um, become a world champion and, and achieve a silver medal at the Olympics. And that's something that I've taken with me and I've seen in the other environments in a similar way. We can have assumptions about what we need to do to be successful, often about proving ourselves to be better than others around us. We get sucked into that comparison and we actually stop exploring fields beyond that that were much more exciting, wider ambitions, which require us to collaborate at the heart of of that effort. I mean, I think that's fascinating again. And I think there's so many parallels between what you're discussing in the world of sport and the world of business. And I mean, I'm just I'm just interested to know, like to, to give you a, an anecdote, I suppose, if there's a, somebody listening to this who is a high performer in an organization and they feel that they are not achieving what they want to achieve, what would your advice to them be in terms of, I suppose, repurposing themselves or rethinking about what their, their own values of success are? Is it a case of they have to change their mindset or that they need to look for another organization? It's first of all, to look at themselves and to really think carefully about 
how you are judging success and all the assumptions you're making around that and whether it's become too narrow, too short term focused and something that, again, is what you think success should be rather than actually what you want. So it's important to define success on your own terms in a way that you have a level of control and influence over that connect with a purpose that you want to get out of bed every day and work toward, that connects to those internal drivers, things that you enjoy on a daily basis and the things that give meaning to your life, the things that have been meaningful in the past and and that you feel will give meaning to your future life. So it requires us to ask some different questions in order to define success. So first of all, just open that up, that picture of success, open it up to broader than it is at the moment. And think about, again, that sense of what drives you each day. What are the things that that make you feel today's been a good day on a day when you won't achieve promotion or a profit margin or a sales figure? But actually, what are the things today that give us that sense of motivation? And often it is through connections, through challenges, through collaboration, decision making. And then think about how are those elements present in your job at the moment? How might you amplify them? Um, And if then they're not there to the degree that you want and you've explored that fully, then maybe it is time to look for a different role within the same organization or to look beyond. But to think about, yeah, first of all, what's that purpose that I connect to that goes beyond any short-term metric of what I might be measured by in the short term? What is it that, that I'm part of that has meaning for the longer term? What am I learning? What am I gaining? And, I, and when I work with athletes and business leaders, I always say, what are you gaining if you don't hit that important metric that your business life is, is revolving around or your sports life? You know, if you don't win that Olympic medal, if you don't hit this year's annual figures, what are you still gaining? That constant learning piece. And is that enough? And is those are those the elements that you want to develop at the moment? And then to think about, again, those connections. Who are the people who have an Im- impact on your business world at the moment? Can you develop those further? Often a shift in who we're connecting with, who we're collaborating with, completely transforms our experience and how we're viewing whether we're successful or not. So again, broaden your lens, check that lens, you know, think about whether it's actually enabling you to thrive and connecting with those things that drive you at a deeper level. It's about thinking about intrinsic motivation, not extrinsic motivation. The extrinsic motivation comes from the external elements of medals, targets, getting a job, getting a house, those things. The intrinsic motivation revolves around our sense of purpose, the autonomy we have within the world we're working in, and this mastery concept. What are we developing? What are we learning about all the time? What are we making progress in that feels important to us? Fantastic advice. Thank you. Returning a little bit to your experience, I mean, as we mentioned at the start of the conversation, you've worked in in diplomacy as a diplomat for more than 10 years. How did your outlook of success come into practice in, in, in this profession, in this career path? So I started off thinking that, okay, what are the skills that I need to be successful here? Right, I need to be sort of really drawing on my academic background, my knowledge of history, culture, politics, language. Um, I need to know all those in-depth briefings that we have before we go to negotiate on a, on a technical issue. And all of those things are true, but they're only half the picture at most. When you step inside a negotiating room, it's then all about 
the connections you make with others there, understanding mindsets, building relationships, understanding human behavior. That's what will determine the success of the negotiation. And it's really tuning into that. And that became what I then realized I needed to learn much more about to be able to connect with others. Influence comes from understanding others' perspective and listening in order to do that. So it was a real shift away from the sort of intellectual side of it, if you like, that still needed to be there, but that needed to be underpinned by this human side of connecting with others and really understanding the human dynamics in what was going on. And as part of that, there's a particular aspect of mindset that was critical to how negotiations progressed. If people came in with a zero-sum game mindset, which frequently they would because you were perhaps getting different warring parties together. So, you know, they inevitably see their own success as being defined by the person opposite them not getting what they want. When you've got that thinking happening, it's almost impossible to progress. So a lot of our work was really about slowly shifting mindsets from a sense of success depending on someone else failing to actually all of us contributing to a much bigger picture of success that we all take something from. That doesn't happen overnight. That happens through long, careful conversations, a lot of understanding and gradually coming to common ground where we can share an element of purpose that actually fulfills all of our key needs. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's fascinating. Thank you for that. And then I suppose considering the current environment in which we're all living. um, So I think we're speaking in the UK, we've just entered our third lockdown and times are tough for everybody, regardless of of what they're doing. And I think it's fair to say that resilience has become more important than ever in the the past year. Mm. I was just wondering if in your view, how do you think leaders can become more resilient or if indeed they need to become more resilient in the face of it seeming constant change in crisis at the moment? So resilience is a big topic at the moment in these tough times. You're absolutely right. Resilience is an ongoing concept. So we are always developing resilience and every experience we have develops our resilience further. It's a personal and dynamic and complex concept. So just becoming more aware of that, I think, is important and moving away from any sense that it's fixed. Actually, it's part of how we see the world, the lens we view, we bring to the experiences that we have. I think the other thing is to is to be aware of how our understanding of what resilience is has shifted. It was seen in the past and uh, in, in quite a what I think is now a bit of an old fashioned view that it's about being tough, it's about being yeah. strong, it's about never showing weakness, and that it is almost a fixed thing. That really isn't the case. And there's a wonderful wealth of research across, you know, healthcare, working with sports, um, top athletes, working with the military, looking at post-traumatic stress disorder, bereavement, redundancy, all of these different experiences and actually thinking, what is it that helps people to be resilient for the longer term? And it absolutely isn't toughness. Just bouncing back constantly is exhausting and in the end leads to burnout. In order to be resilient, we need to have that adaptive adaptability at our core. We need to be making sure that we are flexible and growing through the experiences we have, that the adversity that we encounter isn't just something that we we kind of go through and then spring back to what we had before. No, we need to grow through it and come out the other side different in some way. And you see that at the macro level at the moment, there's a sense of, oh, let's just go back to what we did. We can't ever go back to what we did because we've all been changed by the experience we've gone through. We've learned things we didn't know before. We can see the world in a different way. We can understand each other 
other in a different way. So that's what we come out with. And we need to make sure we're really, you know, enabling that adaptability to be part of how we respond, to have a much broader kind of um, openness in ourselves and with others to enable there to be vulnerability, compassion, mindfulness to just, you know, accept where we are at the moment, the things that we can control and the things that are beyond our control that we need to let go of. So a much more, um, again, that sort of human approach to resilience as being about flexibility at its heart, not some notion of being super tough heroes. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think there is, there's almost a new definition of resilience at the moment about moving from that sort of um, blind grit to a more sort of mindful agility and adaptiveness, you know, changing mindsets, thinking about what's happening and, and trying to sort of be more pragmatic rather than, as I say, just blindly pushing forward with grit. I think with that in mind, I'm, I'm really interested in, in your thinking around constant learning. Now at Amber, we talk a lot about lifelong learning and how one should be constantly upskilling, thinking about new ways of doing things, thinking about new ways of thinking throughout their entire careers. And I'm so glad that, that you share this mantra. I was just wondering what skills you think, I suppose what skills and qualities you think are most important to consider as an individual in the, um, for want of a better phrase, new normal that we're, we're sort of going through at the moment? Yes. Yeah, so I think well, this, this more flexible approach or understanding of what resilience means actually enables us to learn. So our key way of being resilient is to learn, is to say, okay, this experience has, has given me some different insights into myself, into the world around me. And how do I now tap into those and take those and, and shift my approach in the way that I do my job? So it is a learning mindset that sits at the heart of resilience. And for me, it's important that learning is part of how we define success. Not just did I achieve some arbitrary outcome, but actually what did I learn through it that I take into whatever comes after that? Um, so it gives us that momentum, if you like, when things mm -hmm. don't go to plan, when we don't get the outcomes we want, we still learn a lot that we take with us into that next challenge, objective, opportunity. So first of all, we need to be open to learning. We need to have that growth mindset where, again, we are um, open to feedback, open to challenge, able mm -hmm. to, you know, challenge ourselves. Where is that lens getting too narrow on a topic? Where are we bringing biases, making assumptions? So we're constantly thinking about that and, and using others around us to challenge those and see that as a positive part of learning. When we're then open to learning, there are all sorts of learning behaviours that, that I think are helpful. Um, you know, reflection is an important one of that. We don't change our behaviour unless we actually make sense of what it means for us, why we should and how we might do something different. You know, that's why the world doesn't change when we read a book. We don't change our behaviour just by knowledge. We actually have to make sense of that knowledge, reflect on it, apply it to ourselves, test it out, and then we start to, to move forward. So it's really important we have that reflection space, that making sense of, of what, what we're going through. Feedback is a huge tool for learning. So again, seeking feedback proactively, not just waiting to, for others to give it to us, that's great and we should be open to it, but really seeking it about the areas we want to develop. Often one of the most kind of richest sources of learning in our organization are all of those people around them who've got, you know, all those different experiences that we can tap into, ask for advice, seek another perspective. And to bring a coaching approach to, to our work, to our leadership, I think is perhaps another really useful behavior in how we can start to open up more ideas, more solutions within our organization, not feel we've got to have the answer, 
There are no right answers to the complex issues that we face in business at the moment. So actually, we need to be working together collaboratively to be exploring solutions, testing, experimenting, innovating, so that we're then constantly learning. Amazing. And I'm going to pick up on on your thoughts there around collaboration. And you talked about connection at the start of the interview as well, because I think that we talk a lot about purpose and, and redefining purpose in business and sort of changing the idea from profit to purpose, I suppose. But that requires a, a significant cultural shift in organizations. So what would your advice be to organizations in taking steps to move from that profit-driven winner-takes-all culture to one which instead celebrates these connections, connectivity, collaboration, innovation? You're right. It's it's really interesting. There's an increasing body of research and evidence that purpose-led businesses outperform their peers. It's overwhelming. And we've seen it backed up by the Business Roundtable in the US last year, some of the kind of top business late leaders. Um, And yet it still seems quite slow to be filtering through Mm -hmm. the organizational world. What is it that holds us back? I think there is this sense of, you know, an ingrained acceptance of how things used to be done, um, a desire to control and dominate, and without appreciating that to get the best out of people, to motivate them at that deeper level, we actually need to tap into that sense of purpose and autonomy, giving people that opportunity for themselves to kind of craft their careers, their jobs, and to bring what they can, which is going to be so much more than we can ever control or dominate or direct them to do. It's important that purpose goes beyond a mission statement, beyond rhetoric. It's actually worthless if that's where it stays. It's important that purpose is connected to everybody's jobs you know, every day in small ways that we open our meetings by, again, just connecting the reason we're having this meeting and how it how it connects to the bigger picture so that we're constantly making sense. And all of those dull, mundane things we have to do on a daily basis, the difficult (laughs) problems we face, we know why we need to find a way around them. So, you know, actually making purpose something that's lived, that's felt, that can be articulated, not by the, just by the CEO, but by, you know, whoever it is walking through the door each day or or switching their laptops on, looking at their inbox, you know, the inbox doesn't tell us. We need ourselves to be able to articulate that before we can then work out what are the important things to do within the inbox. So it really helps us to have that sense of prioritization. So it has to be a live topic, a live narrative every day brought into all of the things that we do. And I think that then needs to be backed up further by you know, the, the incentives, the structures that need to acknowledge um, you know, progress towards a purpose that don't just then draw us back to these sort of short-term metrics. So again, we need to be rewarding and recognizing progress in learning, progress in innovation, progress in making mistakes and learning from them, um, and to be really showing that this is the stuff that counts um, and so, you know, there's a lot structurally that could, that can sort of hold us back here where we know we've got to cert- hit certain metrics to move on. That just stops us developing in this broader area that would be so much more effective both for ourselves and our organisations. So really living that purpose and making sure that we reward collaboration and teamwork ahead of, you know, obsessing with individual assessments. Kath, we're nearly finished and I've so enjoyed speaking to you. I've taken so much from this interview but I'm going to end with a very difficult question, I'm afraid. And I think it's, (laughs) (laughs) I've written about values purpose for years. And I think that there's a, there's a difficulty that a lot of organizations have with purpose that they want to talk about it. They want it put on the, on the kitchen wall. They want it 
you know, emblazoned for all employees to see and they put it in their PR and it's something they're very proud of. But I do still think that in a lot of organizations, purpose is seen as something distinct from business success. So you've got the purpose on one hand, you've got what good looks like in the other. So great, you know, we want to make change in the world, but ultimately we do want to make a profit. And I think that's something that a lot of organizations have struggled with in terms of that cultural shift that we talked about a second ago. Short question, difficult answer. How should organizations define success? Purpose needs to sit at the heart of it. And the next generation and people now choosing their jobs will not choose organizations without it anymore. The environmental awareness that now exists is different from any level in the past. The pandemic has made us reevaluate what society um, needs in the future and uh, what we all need from society. So we should redefine success around the clarity of what really matters for the longer term. We've got to resist the short-term temptations to cut corners and to think about actually what are the things that are important to me that I'm going to be proud of over a lifetime um, that I'm going to think are worthwhile investing in, that the next generation are going to think are worthwhile doing. I, I love that mentality that you often see in a lot of indigenous cultures where they don't make a decision for themselves. They make a decision in the light of future generations. It's something we are seeing coming increasingly into government and business, this sense of future commissioners, future generations, policy making. Make sure that your organisation is defining success as something that will leave the world in a better place. And if you can't define that, you're not going to be able to attract or retain the talent you need in order to thrive. That was an amazing answer. Thank you so much. Kath, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. And thank you for so much practical insight and, and inspiration. I'm certainly going to take a lot away from this conversation. So thank you so much for your time to speak to us today. Great to be with you. Thanks a lot. I mentioned at the start of the episode that Kath has written an article for Ambition about changing ideas and mindsets around winning. And you can read that as well as a wealth of other articles at www.associationofmbas.com forward slash ambition.